Yeah. Well, I remember Jerry and Judy fondly from Emmanuel Bible Church and uh, your home on Eldridge as well. And I remember you being involved there. And I was so delighted in talking with uh, David Steele a couple years ago when I got to know him that you were involved out here as well. I knew you had moved out into the hinterland of, of Whatcom County here and out in the rural, the rural part, uh, similar to what I grew up in back in, in Minnesota. Uh, with a name like Erickson, you see, that's I'm half Swede and half Norwegian, so I call myself a Swedian, you see. And I, and I, and I take a pill for it every morning, so I, it, gets me, it gets me through the day. Wonderful music, wonderful singing. Thank you for leading us, uh, uh, the worship, worship team here this morning as well. It's so good to be with you and to worship with you as well. I came by this road last Friday, a week ago Friday night, heading up to Cedar Springs. I was a, a men's uh, speaker for a men's retreat for Faith Community Church up in Linden and the snow was like Minnesota. I, I came by here. I glanced over. I could hardly see the building here as I turned to go up the South Pass. And, and we were kind of snowbound there for the day. It was just wonderful for me as a Minnesotan uh, here to be with. I like it when the snow comes, but I'm, I like it better when it melts, quite frankly. back in, Anybody here from Minnesota grew up back there at all? Okay. Yeah. Minneapolis, Minnesota, we used to call it Minnehopeless Minnesota, so we, is what we called it. And so and it's been good to get to know your pastor at a coffee shop in Bellingham these last couple of years, had many, many talks together, and found that we have many friends and acquaintances, especially in ministry, uh, going back many, many years. Uh, in conjunction with Multnomah and, and Western Seminary down in in Portland, and uh, I I treasure uh, David's book uh, that he gave me and signed for me, uh, Bold Reformer, and uh, especially when it's about Martin Luther. I grew up in a Lutheran church, didn't attend very much, didn't learn very much there. We didn't get saved till I came out here in 1970 up in the college campus of all places when God got a hold of me. But as a Lutheran in Minnesota, I did, I did enjoy hot dishes. You know, they don't call them casseroles back there. It's hot dish. And I enjoyed lefse and lutefisk, you know. You know, anybody know about lutefisk? Yeah, lutefisk is that piece of cod that passes all understanding, you see. <laughs> and some of us actually like it. Anyway, anyway, turn to Colossians this morning. When you came to study the Word of God, of course, that's why we're here. That's why I'm here, to the book of Colossians. And I, I thought through an old adage that I heard many, many years ago. An old adage that says that some people are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. And, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a cute and clever adage. And, but I'm not convinced it's, it's correct, uh, quite frankly. Uh, because I know many people who are so heavenly minded, and rather they're so earthly minded, that the things of heaven don't matter much. They are so earthly, earth bound, that the things of God's kingdom get short shrift and, and get almost completely eclipsed. And so that's why we're in Colossians today. It's a book that instructs us about heavenly things, the things above, ta'ano, the things above, the above things, and especially the things pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. 
things pertaining to his deity, to his preeminence, to his sovereign rule over all that he has created, things that pertain to his headship of the body of Christ and his redeeming work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his triumph over sin, death, and the grave, and his imminent return to this earth. And uh, Paul, Paul's concern, as he writes, is for the church at Colossae to be heavenly-minded and to focus on Christ Jesus rather than on earthly propaganda and philosophy, rather than focusing upon earthly lures and lore. And so Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians 3.1 If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now that's starting there with an if, and it's starting of, of a new chapter. I want to want to go back to chapter two to get the flow of things and some of the things that the Colossian believers were facing there. So I'm going to go back and read from Colossians two six again to get this information that is important as we understand uh, chapter three. So we're in in Colossians chapter two, verse six. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were 
living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using, in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And then comes what I read earlier. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our very life, is revealed... Then you will also will be revealed with him in glory. What amazing information for us. What truth for us to know and to understand this morning. Would you bow and pray with me just for a moment? Our eternal God and gracious Heavenly Father, we know full well that you are worthy of our worship and our adoration and our praise. And even we who are born again are still desperately needy sinners. And we need your grace and your illumination to understand your word. And we confess that we too easily traffic through unlived truth. So give us ears to hear this morning. Give us hearts to respond in obedience for your glory and always then for our good and because of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, every church in every age is exposed to false teaching. Every church in every age is exposed to insidious half-truths half and incipient heresies. And, and I believe that, that most... Often at the core of false teaching in, in Paul's day and our day as well is a works justification mentality packaged in contemporary terms. For example, a works justification mentality is, focuses on how can I get to heaven on my terms? How can I get God's approval by what I do? How can I get God's approval by what I know? How can I get to get God to be impressed with me rather than to be impressed with His grace freely given to me, a desperate and a guilty sinner? And of course, that, that forgiveness is based upon, only upon the cross of Christ. And as in the church at Colossae, we can lose track of the person of Christ Jesus, his finished work on our behalf, and who we are in him. And so in your bulletin is an outline, just some thoughts, uh, just to hang our thoughts upon here. And I wrote earlier this week, position, pursuit, and practice. God has given us his word as revelation of who he is so that we might know him and respond to him in worship and in joyful obedience. An experiential knowledge of him is meant to inform us, transform us, and to conform us to the image of his son that, he, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. In Colossians, Paul reminds us, first of all, of our position in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised 
up with Christ. Paul reminds the church at Colossae that they are complete in Christ. Go back to chapter 2 of what I just read a little bit ago. Back to chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you've been made complete, and he is head over all rule and authority. He admonishes them not to be taken captive by worldly thinking, by their culture, as I read there in verse 8. And he reminded them that they needed no special esoteric knowledge uh, apart from God's revelation. And that is what the Gnostics uh, taught. I'm going to review here in chapter 2 or 4 of the heresies that had crept into the church of that day. Gnosis is the word for knowledge, and that's where the word, some say Gnostics, but most of us say Gnostics where that heresy came from. And, and along with, with uh, uh, the Gnostic heresy was, was the teaching of the Judaizers, which were really just legalists of that day. And you look at chapter 2, verse 11 again. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You do Judaizers were pressing, especially uh, uh, Gentile converts, to, to be involved with and go through the, the ritual of circumcision. And he said, no, 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 you don't need that. Verse 16 says, Therefore let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And these were the legalizers, the legalists. So there were the Gnostics, the legalists, and then there were the mystics as well. Those that we would probably call today the people involved with the paranormal. You hear that word quite a bit these days about the paranormal. When I hear paranormal, and I think, well, careful, be careful here, because a lot of the paranormal is, moves people right into the to the occult. And so chapter 2 verse 18 says that no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. So there were the Gnostics that said you had to have a special uh, uh, information, special knowledge. There were the legalists. There were the mysticists, or involved with mysticism. And then the last one here is, is asceticism. And even if you've read David Steele's book on Bold Reformer about Martin Luther, uh, and you talk about asceticism and you read about how he treated his own body as a priest, how he treated himself trying to drive out sin, trying to make him good enough for God until he realized that it's by faith that he's saved, by, by grace. And this is part of the teaching back in Paul's day as well. Asceticism, harsh deprivation or mistreatment of the body. Verse 20 again, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Verse 23, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. We've got a lot of that today in our culture the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. I call it homespun theology. And you hear people, even people who ought to know better, who claim to be Christians, who will say, well, I don't know what the Bible says, but here's what I believe. And the God I know, the God I believe, this is what he's like. And I think, no, we only know God by revelation. We only know him by how he's revealed himself and what he's created and through 
special revelation of his word. So this appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So these were some of the false teachings that distorted or eclipsed the supremacy of Christ and his sufficiency as well. So that's why Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, If then you've been raised up with Christ, he reminds them of their position in Christ, that they've been raised up with him. And even though this is translated in the New American Standard, if then you've been raised up with Christ, it seems like it's kind of an iffy possibility, but maybe it's not true. But that's not really the case. That word if can be translated since. He is stating this as an accomplished fact. He said, since you have been raised up with Christ, he reminds the readers that if they believe in and belong to Christ Jesus, they have been raised up with him positionally. This is positional truth. You've been raised up with him. And he's already stated that truth in chapter 2, where we were raised up with Christ, we were made alive together with Christ when we were born again. Ephesians 2 will say that we are seated with him in the heavenlies. Now, what, what amazing information to us who, are spirit, who were spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. And it was Christ who made us alive. We didn't make ourselves alive. He made us alive. And we made us alive. He raised us with, up with him and seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. <clears throat> to understand that and to reflect upon that, it, it's really, it's really a, a, a wow experience. You know, probably King James would say, wow, hallelujah, I don't know. But, 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 but it's, it's a wow experience. And, and as I pondered it this week again, I thought, is this is this reality this reality still still a wow for us to know that our sins can be forgiven that we can know that we're reconciled to God through the blood of the of the Lord Jesus Christ or has this truth kind of become old hat and just oh, just kind of a yawner and you say oh yeah I know I know I know that I know that I've known that for years. <clears throat> Yeah, well, the Lord Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, you know. We need to understand the maturity and spiritual uh, life and spiritual, uh, uh, spiritual liveliness, you know, is not just learning something new. It is living what we know. Some of us want to scramble to learn some new little tidbit and we forget to live what we already know. So here, as we think about this information here as well to, to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ Jesus, raised up with him and seated with him. Our identity is defined by who Christ is and who we are in him. By who we are in him, by who we are rather than who we were. Who we are by our position in Christ after we were born again, after we were made alive in Christ after we were seated with him in the heavenly places. <clears throat> Again, I'd say what amazing truth that is, what astounding assurance that is to know that truth and to experience that truth in our lives day by day. <clears throat> Let me just share with you briefly an experience that I had 12 years ago down in Portland, Oregon. Our, we have two children that live in Portland and six grandchildren down there. But this was 12 years ago, and our son and his wife had their first little baby, and they bought a house, and they moved out of this apartment. 
to move into their house, and before they, they, they could leave the apartment, they needed to paint it. So right at Christmas time and, and just before Christmas, and I thought, well, I'd go down and, and help paint uh, for a day. So I did, and, and I was talking to my daughter-in-law and had uh, Christmas music on, I remember, and, and uh, uh, Bing Crosby was singing, and we were talking a little bit about that. And then she left, and, and as I was painting that, that early afternoon, all of a sudden, I, I looked around, kind of went, and I, I didn't know where I was. And I went, what? I didn't panic. It was just a very strange experience. And I, I just lost track of, of what, what was happening. And I went outside. It was cold, 35 degrees. I had a T-shirt on only. And, and I was out there when Linda and, and our daughter-in-law and, and grandchild came home to the parking lot. And I was out there. And they came up to me. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't know where I am. And I'm kind of a jokester, so they laughed, and, and then they realized I wasn't kidding. They took me to the emergency hospital, St. Vincent's, just a few blocks away. And after the emergency docs uh, realized that it wasn't a stroke, that's what they thought it was initially, they concluded that I had transient global amnesia. Well, being Swedish, I've been accused of that many times, you see. But, but I never heard of it. But there they had two, two uh, patients a month down there with transient global amnesia, where you lose short-term memory just for eight, ten hours, and then you gradually get it back, and, and away you go. Again, like I said, I remember a little bit about it. Don't remember much, but I do remember that evening when I was kind of back home and doing okay, and my daughters came from Bellingham and Seattle down there rushing to dear old dad, and, and they were kind of chuckling up things that, that I said when, when I had this amnesia. And I didn't know what they were talking about, but they said, well, because as I talked to the doctor, I'd say, where, where am I? What am I doing here? And after the doctor would tell me what was going on, I'd say, well, one thing I know for sure, my sins are forgiven, I'm bound for heaven, the best is yet to come. Where am I? What am I doing here? And as the doctor would tell me, I'd say, well, one thing I know for sure, my sins are forgiven, I'm bound for heaven, the best is yet to come. And you know, as I share that, I certainly don't mean to be boasting about my spirituality, but how comforting it is for me to know that even when my short-term memory was on hold, that I knew that my spiritual life was hidden with Christ in God, verse 3 there says, and that I had been raised up with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places, and nothing could change that. And sometimes when a fellow Christian asks me how I'm doing, I sometimes will say, oh, I'm doing fine as long as I keep looking down. And they look at me like, you mean looking up? I said, no, I'm seated in the heavenlies with Christ, aren't you? And in, in Christ, we are seated with the heaven, in the heavenlies. So in a sense, we do look down from that perch. However, here it says, of course, that we are to look up, that we, are to, we have been raised up with Christ, we are to seek the things above. We will fix our eyes on Jesus, as Hebrews will say. And so Paul reminds us of our position in Christ Jesus, first of all. But secondly, point two, Paul reminds us of our pursuit as Christians. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Since we've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenlies, we are to keep seeking the things above. That's the, the present tense there says we're to keep on seeking the things above. Now, certainly the things above uh, does not refer to to astronomy, although it's nothing wrong with having a high-powered telescope and look out to see what God has created, this immense universe. But it's not referring, certainly not referring to astrology, as many today, of course, are looking out into the stars and see how they align and they won't get going for the day without reading their a horoscope, I call it a horoscope usually, and, and you remember, some of us are old enough to remember the age of Aquarius, remember that back in the days, I call it the age of asparagus, and, and just, to be, just, to make, just to make fun, but anyway, so we ought not be stargazers, but we are to be savior gazers, you notice chapter 3 verse 1, if then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is not just vaguely looking to the skies or looking to the heavens or, or the heavenly things. It is looking to Jesus, the incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and risen Jesus. As Hebrews 12 will say that they were to run with endurance the race that is, that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus. The idea is there is, is looking away from unto Jesus, looking away from the earthly things unto Jesus the author and perfecter of faith. And you notice that it says that, that he is seated at the right hand of God. He, he's the, the right hand in Scripture is always the hand, uh, always the place of, of authority. And we need to review how majestic and how awesome the Lord Jesus is. I want you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment to review how it describes the Lord Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. It starts off in the middle of a verse there. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Now verse 20, Ephesians 1, 20, which He brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. He gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is who we are, we are to keep seeking uh, and, and, and search for and, and, and have our minds move up toward the heavenlies where Christ is since we've been raised up with him at our new birth. But we might ask again, you know, Paul, that's a little, little vague there. You know, can you be a little more specific about seeking the things above? Well, sure. Verse 2 says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Set your mind. Think about. Be intent on what, what we are thinking about. So seeking the things above has to do with what we think about. What we think about. Our mind matters. Certainly, Romans 12 will say we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
rather than to be conformed to this world. 2 Corinthians 3 will say, And beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So we are transformed as we behold the Lord, and as we renew our minds, as we set our minds on the things above where Christ is. And how do we do that? Well, Scripture will teach that we do that by thinking God's thoughts after Him, by reading His Word, His Word, the revelation of reality. You were in chapter 3 of Colossians, down to verse 16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell, dwell within you. Uh, some translations have said among you, and there are those who think it's just the word being among the people there in, in the fellowship, but it's really within you, referring again to the, to the word of God dwelling within the believer, within his mind. In fact, I believe that we can't seek the things above biblically apart from God's revelation apart from His written Word to us. If we don't program our minds with God's Word, we will be programmed by this world's thinking. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. If we do not program our minds with God's Word, I believe this world will will continually be programmed by this world's thinking. And Paul tells believers not to think like this fallen world. In verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Paul refers to this world as a wicked and perverse generation in the book of Philippians. So in chapter 2, verse 8, he strongly admonishes again, and I believe we need this admonishment today as much as ever. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And again, if you're here today and you don't think you're vulnerable there to begin to buy into the ways of the world and all of the slick teaching that appear to be Christian, I would, I would warn you that you are vulnerable there because it's so easy for it to happen if we are not focusing upon the Word of God. And why are we to seek things above where Christ is? And why are we to set our minds on the things above and not on the things of this earth? Well, he gives us an explanation here. Verse 3, 4, 4, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died. Now, why would, why would Paul write to people who have died? <laughs> that seems a little, a little uh, uh, superfluous to do that or, or not, a, not a smart thing. So, so we, know, we, we know when you read that that obviously he means something other than being dead physically. To the Romans, Paul writes that the Christian has died to sin. That sin no longer has the power it had in their lives before they were born again. And so I need to go back there to Romans chapter 6 for a moment. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, verse 11, even so... Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let, your, let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And then verse 14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. We are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul will say in chapter 6, Romans there, how shall we who have died to sin still live in it? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? When sin comes down the pike, we can say no because of our new nature of being born again and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We, don't, we are not just victims. And again, the victim mentality of our culture these days is not my fault, it's somebody else's. No, we can say no to sin. If we've been raised up with Christ, and if we are seated with Him positionally as spiritually regenerated people, then this part of our lives is hidden with Christ in God, verse 3 will say, and when Christ is revealed, then we will be revealed with Him in glory, and I believe that refers to when He returns. But in the meantime, we who die to sin should no longer live in it. And so, as Paul has reminded us of our position in Christ and our pursuit as Christians, the last point has to do with our practical Christian living. We who are seeking the things above where Christ is should have some idea how this makes its way out in practical Christian living. Well, Paul, can you help us out there a little bit? Well, sure. Verse 5 will say, Therefore, put to death the members of your earthly body. Uh, this translation, New American Standard, says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Uh, and, and in the column it says, put to death. I wish you had stayed with put to death, because that's literally what it is. Not just consider it dead, but put to death. And you, and you see what he says to put to death here, these temptations of ours, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And I would ask us today, anybody here admit that, that to experiencing these kinds of things in verse 5? Immorality, impurity, evil desire, greed. Any of us admit that we, are, we struggle with these things? No? Okay, well, I've got another list here for you. Uh, here, verse 8. How about verse 8? But now you also put them all aside. Here's another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Put them all aside. Put them to death. Don't allow them to be experienced and expressed in our lives. And, of course, those are negative things, so I'd have to ask Paul if there's anything positive here that he would mention. Well, of course, look at verse 12. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, 
put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you also, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, we need to just pause just for a moment here. We can read it and not let it sink down into our lives that we might apply it. Look what it says again. It says, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, verse 13, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. There is no forgiveness apart from the cross of Christ. But those who have come to Christ and received his forgiveness, and those who have been forgiven ought to be forgivers. But how many in the body of Christ are quick to hold a grudge and even justify it? You see, if we're seeking the things above, we need to apply these kinds of things. Verse 13 is certainly a raised up with Christ, seeking the things above, where Christ is kind of an attitude and outlook. If he forgives, so should we. So how are we doing with this instruction this morning? How does this land in our laps today and in our lives? The old preacher J. Vernon McGee used to say, That's, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. That was one of his expressions. Yeah, these attitudes and behaviors are the manifestation of our new life in Christ and in setting our minds on him. And then, of course, he goes on to talk about the marriage of wives and husbands, verses 18 and 19. Children, verse 20. Fathers, verse 21, referring to the family. Slaves and masters, of course, that applies to the, I believe, can, can apply to the, to the employment situation with our jobs. And so, again, very practical. If we're seeking the things above, these things ought to make their way out in real life every day. Now... We can't do what only God can do. Only He can make us alive spiritually. Only He can raise us up positionally and seat us with Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. Only He can forgive our sins on the basis of the cross. Only He can grant everlasting life. So we can't do what only He can do. But neither does He do what He asks us to do. He doesn't repent for us. He doesn't believe for us. He doesn't put to death the deeds of the flesh for us. And he doesn't seek the things above for us. We are asked to do these things as those alive in Christ Jesus, as those dead to sin, as those raised up and seated with Jesus, and as those who are chosen of God holy and beloved. How amazing is His grace. How worthy He is of our worship and our praise every day, all day long, all of our lives. Would you bow one more time as we come in prayer?
gracious Heavenly Father, I, I find myself hurrying and scurrying and zipping from one place to another, from one task to another. You said that we're to be still and know that you are God and we're to reflect and pause in this busy life. We know that you have called us to be worshipers, not just workers. You have called us to be worshipers and not warriors. And you have told us that you've given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So we lack nothing except perhaps obedience on our part. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your long-suffering, your mercy, and your grace. Convict us of our sin this morning. Comfort us in our confession and our repentance. And complete your work in our lives, day by day, until the day of Christ Jesus. Maybe that's today. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus as we bow in your name. Amen.